Matthew chapter 27. And we'll just read one verse, verse 36. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 36. It says, and sitting down, they watched him there. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, the little pronoun they, to understand who that's referring to, we would have to go all the way back up the chapter to verse 27. Verse 27 says, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And if you look down in the verses between verse 27 to verse 36, just quickly look at all of the references to they. And you will see how in rapid fire succession, these wicked Roman soldiers mistreated God's son. Look at what the word of God tells us they did. Verse 28, they stripped him. Verse 29, they plaited a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They bowed the knee before him. Verse 30, they spit on him, took the reed and smote him on the head. Verse 31, they mocked him. They took the robe off from him. Verse 33, they came to a place called Golgotha. Verse 34, they gave him vinegar to drink. Verse 35, they crucified him. They parted his garments among them. And then in verse 36, you see the almost callous, indifferent, despicable attitude of these men. As we read, sitting down, they watched him there. None of us had the privilege to actually be there at the cross. John was. He takes that ground when he writes his gospel. He says, he that saw it, bear record. And his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. None of us were literally physically there. Had we been there, we would have seen these wicked men as they sat down to watch him there. We would have seen others. We would have seen the leaders of the Jewish people, chief priests, the rulers of the people. They were there. They likely had a smug look of satisfaction on their faces because they finally had Jesus of Nazareth where they wanted him nailed to a cross. We read of women that were there wailing and lamenting. Mary was there, the broken heart, her sword pierced through with many sorrows. John was there, as I've said. But what I'd like you to think with me for just a few minutes before the meeting ends is there were a number of unseen witnesses that day at the cross who had a keen interest in what was happening. They were watching. They were observing. They weren't seen by the crowds. They weren't obvious to the people who were physically gathered in Golgotha. But they were nonetheless keenly observing what was happening on this day that's so central to history. I'd like you to think with me about angels. Angels were there that day at Golgotha. If we just went back one chapter to chapter 26, more than 12 legions of them were there. The Lord Jesus says to Peter, Wished ye not that I could speak to my Father, and he would presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But 
How then would the scriptures be accomplished that thus it must be? Angels had been integrally involved at his birth. The angel of the Lord had appeared to Joseph to explain what was happening. Gabriel the angel had come to Mary to tell her. An angel appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. A host of angels came and proclaimed glory to God in the highest in Luke chapter 2. Angels had come at the time of his temptation. After 40 days, the angels came and ministered to him. In Gethsemane, the angels came to strengthen him. At his resurrection, angels would proclaim, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. At his ascension, angels would say, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? But on this day, angels were there. They must have been amazed. Angels had seen those of their own kind sin. And God's response had been immediate and proportionate and just and final. They were cast down. Everlasting chains. Nothing but darkness. There's no sense that angels thought that was inappropriate. That was appropriate. That's how a just God, that's how a righteous God would deal with sin. But angels that day at the cross, they witnessed as the Son of the Highest was delivered into the hands of sinners. And they saw the Prince of Glory hanging in shame on a tree. And those angels were neither summoned nor sent as they silently witnessed what happened that day at Calvary. It's unlikely that they understood that day what was going on. But I believe that as God's purposes and grace have continued to unfold, angels are described as being servants to the heirs of promise. And angels have been witnessing now for over 1,900 years the outworking of what happened that day. And they have seen the grace of God working in the lives of those that have been transformed and redeemed by what happened that day. And in a day that's still future, angels are going to hear you and me and an innumerable throng of others as we sing a song that they can't sing. And we ascribe worth and glory and honor to the one that sits on the throne because he redeemed us to God by his blood out of every tongue and tribe and kindred and people and nation. And angels will understand as they look back to that day that what they saw that day at the cross was God's grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, that for the sake of poor guilty sinners, He was becoming poor. They had seen His riches in heaven. They observed His poverty at Calvary. It wasn't for their benefit. But they will understand, as they see God's grace displayed in us, they will understand a little of what the cross meant. But angels weren't the only unseen witnesses that day. I'd like you to think about a holy God. There was a God whose throne had been violated by sin. A God against whom his archenemy had lifted his hand and devised a plan to take from God his righteousness, his creation, his purposes. 
There have been decades of, actually centuries, of sacrifices. As we were reminded in worship this morning, with all of those sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats, they could never take away sin. And with such sacrifices, God was not well pleased. But there was a holy God, I say it reverently, who was witnessing what was happening that day at Calvary. He wasn't just witnessing it. He was actually involved. Centuries before Abraham had said to Isaac, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And unappreciated by all the people around the cross that day, that's exactly what was happening. God was providing a lamb. God was providing himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And as a holy God observed what happened that day at the cross, something was accomplished that had never happened before in the history of redemption. It'll never happen again. It'll never have to. One sacrifice was being made for sin forever. And the man on that central cross was putting away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And the heart of a holy God found propitiation, satisfaction. In no way, don't ever let into your thinking the idea that there was a a grudging, reluctant sense in which the throne of God was just barely satisfied so that wrath would no longer flow. Think of propitiation and satisfaction as immeasurable joy that flooded through heaven as sin was defeated and righteousness prevailed and the Lamb was slain and God's throne was forever satisfied. Only His eye appreciated it that day. Thank God we've come to appreciate it. We've been at the altar. And we've witnessed the Lamb burnt holy to ashes for me. And we've watched its sweet savor ascending on high, accepted, O Father, by Thee. So a holy God wasn't seen, but He was witnessing what happened. He watched Him there. But I'd like you to think thirdly with me of a heavenly Father. He watched Him there. Now, of course, I know the Heavenly Father is the same as a holy God, and we wouldn't want to split or divide a person of the Godhead. And yet there is a sense in which I think it's good for us to remember that the eye of His Father saw everything that happened. There's a sense in which it must have really pained Him. It be very painful to experience the death of your son. I haven't been called to walk those mountains or valleys. Some have. It'd be very difficult to watch the suffering, and the mistreatment of your son. And it must have stung the heart of a heavenly father to see wicked sinners do what we've just read, buffet him, spit on him, despise him, crucify him. It's amazing that heaven was silent. Truly is. To think that no voice came from heaven to set the record straight. Heavenly Father restrained. Speaking in defense of His Son. Just as an aside, 
The Father won't always be silent. There is a day when to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2 is careful to say, to the glory of God the Father, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Father will vindicate His Son. And He will make sure that every conscious being in His creation knows that the man who hung in shame at Calvary is God's beloved Son. And He's Lord of all. But at Calvary, the Father was silent. But you know, not only can we appreciate that it must have been difficult and painful for the Father, but think with me just for a moment of the tremendous joy it must have brought to the Father to see the obedience of His Son. The Lord Jesus, before He went to the cross, we read in Gethsemane's garden that the cry of His anguished soul to His Father was, Father, if this cup shall not pass from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. He said to His own at the end of uh, the experience in the upper room as they arose to go across the brook, He said that the world may know that I love the Father. And as he has given me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. And it's touching, isn't it, that the first words recorded that he spoke at the cross, the very first word that escaped his lips was, Father. The very last thing he said at the cross, Father. It must have brought great joy to the heart of his Father to see his Son. Take the work, complete the work. Take the cup and drain the cup. And in a very real sense, what happened that day at the cross in its fullness was only really understood by an eternal Father and His eternal Son. We've come into the good of it and thank God for everything we've come to learn, but there are depths of meaning and beauty and appreciation that will only ever be theirs to share. And what what was happening was a transaction between a father and his son. Satan and the hosts of darkness were there. Remember when the crowd came to the garden, the Lord Jesus said, this is your hour and the powers of darkness. I don't have time to develop what perhaps was in the mind of Satan. He had conspired through the treacherous, traitorous heart of Judas to betray Christ. And working through a spineless Roman governor and envious, wicked leaders of the Jews, And callous Gentile soldiers, he got God's son nailed to a tree, and he died. And I wonder if the devil didn't think that he had accomplished a great triumph that day at the cross. Although the cry, it's finished, must have really thrown him for a bit of a loop, if I could say that without sounding irreverent. Just before he died, that man on the center tree cried, it's finished. And of course, we know that On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, it was all over for Satan. Because in might and majesty and power and glory, a man stepped forth, the same one that died. And in the words of Hebrews chapter 2, through his death, he destroyed, he rendered powerless him that has the power of death, the devil, and delivered those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. But finally... There was another unseen witness that day at the cross. Nobody saw him. But I'd like to tell you there was a little 10-year-old boy. And although he wasn't literally physically there, 
in a very real way, he was there. And if you had seen this little 10-year-old boy, you would have seen that as he stood there at the cross, something happened. Tears flowed down his face as the truth flooded over his soul as to what was going on. It wasn't just that Jesus of Nazareth was being crucified by them, what they did. In the words of Galatians 2 and verse 20, this little boy understood the Son of God loved me. And he's giving himself for me. I was that little 10-year-old boy. In the words of the hymn we sing so often, I saw the burden of my sin by God upon him laid, and he the spotless Lamb of God, my sacrifice was made. It's just that personal. And I understood at 10 years old for the first time in my life, as I stood by faith at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, I understood that it wasn't my believing. It wasn't me figuring anything out. It wasn't my struggle to have faith the right way or piece the puzzle of salvation together. That God's Son hung on a cross and He died. And that by Him dying for me, I'd never be in hell. You know, there's one other person that was there. Not maybe as often as he should have been. But I'd like you just to think for a minute before I stop. Not just about a, a sinner standing at the cross for the first time understanding that Jesus died for me. But I've been back to the cross a number of times as a saint, as a believer. To return to that place, not nearly as often as I should. But I'd like to ask you this morning, when last did you get back to the cross? I trust you've had times as a Christian when all of the complexities of things just strip away and in simplicity you get back to the cross. It's healthy for us to come to the cross, to have our perspective recalibrated, to understand that the essence of Christianity is a man who loved us and died for us and lives for us. And in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, I thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that he died for all, so that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. And I'd suggest to you that there is a perspective we gain at the cross like we gain nowhere else that stirs our spirits and warms our hearts and quickens our step, constrains us by love to separate ourselves from a world that crucified Christ and align ourselves with the Lord that gave himself for us. So might God help us this morning. Sitting down, they watched him there. May God help us to get back to the cross, to watch him there, and to understand the ramifications presently of what happened that day at Calvary.